Lord, we do come to you tonight with humble hearts. And Lord, we do ask for that special outpouring of your spirit to us tonight. Lord, we humbly confess as well that far too often we do seek your hand and not your face. Lord, our desire is to know you more. Lord, we want to hear from you and to be changed by you. We know, Lord, that you are that you are only good and that your love for us is beyond anything that we could begin to measure. So Lord, we do ask tonight as we come from all different places, facing all different trials and different facets in our life, different places in our walk with you, Lord, we ask that you just meet us each individually here as we open your word now and ask that you just do a work amongst us. We know that it is your desire to draw us closer to you. So Lord, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening. Take out your Bibles, please, and open them up with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. So we've been studying through this, this, this book for Samuel. The two main characters to this point have, have first been Samuel. And then we were introduced a few weeks ago to, to Saul, who the, came into the story when the people, the children of Israel, demanded a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. They weren't they weren't satisfied with, with Almighty God being their king. They wanted a physical king like everyone else. And God granted their request, and, and Samuel then anointed Saul as the first king. And we, we saw initially some, some good things in Saul, but it didn't take long before he fell away. And over the last few weeks, we've even seen how he completely walked away from following God. First, we saw a couple weeks ago how he just totally disregarded God's command not to offer a sacrifice, to wait until Samuel got there, and he got impatient when he looked around and saw everything that was going on in the world and, and the, the, the enemy building their camp and this huge army in front of them and how all of his people started scattering, and he panicked, went against a direct command from God and we saw the, the rebuke that came from that, but then last week we saw again how partial obedience is disobedience. He was given a clear command from God to wipe out the enemy completely, yet he took some of the best for himself and, and, and kept the king alive and then tried to shift the blame uh, onto the people that were around him. And we saw last time that again Samuel, his heart is broken over what he is seeing, but God revealed to Samuel that God had removed the anointing of the king off of Saul. That he, it, it tells us that he, he does not regard, he rejected him from being king. He's removing this from him. And, and we saw that at the end of the, chap, at the chapter then that Samuel grieved over Saul, grieved over this happening. And it tells us then that they were estranged for the rest of Samuel's life. They, they, they didn't see one another. Now we're going to get into chapter 16 tonight and we're going to be introduced to the third main player in 1 Samuel, and his name is David. Uh, David, who would become the, the king, as we're going to see anointed tonight, as the, 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 the first great king, the one that God anointed it for Israel. And interesting that this, this man, David, a man after God's own heart, as we see, became the, this leader, but then one that, that, that Israel continually looks back to. David is mentioned more in the entire word of God than any other, any other person other than Jesus. David is. And we're going to be introduced to him tonight. We begin in chapter 16, however, before we're introduced to David. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now there is something, there's something in this, there, there's, there's two facets to this. One, Saul is to be commended, I think, in his heart. This whole idea of Saul becoming the king in the first place, he was grieved over that entire process because Israel had, had demanded a king. He was grieved over that process, but he, 
he had a love for the man Saul. And I believe that he truly, in his heart, hoped that he would be the man that God called him to be. And then to see him fall away just grieved him, broke his heart tremendously. And so we see the thing that's commendable in this, that as, as this man has fallen away, there was no joy in Samuel that said, it's about time, God gets rid of this guy, let's bring in the new guy. He was, he was grieving over that. Yet there's a time for grieving, but there's a time to move on. And God confronts Samuel with this. He says, how long are you going to continue to grieve over Samuel? My work is not done. The things that I plan to do have not been interrupted even with what is going on. And so he's calling him to move away from this grief process, grieving over, and to move on. And there's often times when we will have people in our lives that we hold in, in high esteem, but because of their human nature and because of sin, they, they fall away, they disappoint us. Man will always disappoint us, by the way. If we look to man to solve our problems, we will always be disappointed. And there's a time to grieve over those things, certainly, a time to continue to pray, but to understand that God's, again, God's plans have not been thwarted because man fails. And we need to, yes, grieve and continue to pray, as I believe Samuel continued to pray for Saul, because as we pointed out last time, God rejected him as being king, but he didn't reject Saul, period. We talked last time, can you imagine what Saul could have done if he would have humbly repented and fallen in line then for what God's commands were and God's plans going forward? He could have been the general in David's army. But pride and, and, and his own arrogance kept that from happening, as we'll see played out in the story ahead of us in the weeks to come. But there's this process then that understanding we're going to move on and we're going to need to get fully behind then what is going on next. He said, how long are you going to grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself from among his sons. I have selected a king for myself from among his sons. Now we know that that is, that that is King David, but it's interesting that he says, I have selected. Remember back when we were looking at, um, I believe it was chapter 13, when we talked about the fact that when God first told Samuel that he was going to remove Samuel from that and that his, his sons would not sit on the throne, that he had, he had selected someone else, we talked about the fact that when that happened, David hadn't even been born yet, and God said, I have somebody else. And that God knew that this man, David, would rise up in that time. And Psalm 78 tells us in verse 70, He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From the care of the ewes with suckling lambs he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hand. We don't have to fear the future. God is sovereign. And I love this again, this picture that is painted clearly for us in the word here. God says, I have selected someone already. We find some interesting things as we continue to study about this one that he has selected. But it says, that he said that I have brought him to shepherd this people. He is selecting, he is providing the, the leaders, he is the one that raises up the next ones. If you want to pray specifically for things for Calvary Chapel, I will give you one specific prayer to pray for that we pray all the time as leaders. Lord, raise up more leaders. You raise them up. So often we, again, just like they do in, in our text, we start looking around and we start trying to identify, oh, that one looks good, oh, that person could be. Lord, you raise them up. You train them. David was trained in a very obscure place. He was a shepherd. Shepherds was, that was not a, an esteemed position. As a matter of fact, it was about the lowest position you could get as a shepherd. But God tells us in Psalm 78 that he, that he used that shepherding training so that he could then shepherd the people of Israel. Understanding that sheep, and we've talked of this often because we're referred to as sheep, Sheep aren't the smartest animals. <laughs> They're the ones that, if left by themselves, will end up dead. 
They cannot take care of themselves. They must have a shepherd, and they need a good shepherd. They need a shepherd who cares for the sheep, a shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. We see, we'll see David, he, he battled lions and bears with his bare hands to protect the sheep. Sheep needed to be led to grazing areas. Left on their own, they'll wander off somewhere and probably starve to death if they don't get eaten by a wolf first. He kept David hidden, kind of under the radar as we're going to see. Nobody, nobody saw David that this was coming for David except God. And God, as we see and we know, that God works all things together for good, all things for together for our good and for his glory. And so I would ask a question we all need to ask at, from time to time. Where does God have you right now? Right now, in your situation right now, where does he have you? And what does he want you learning there? As he is preparing you for something else. Something else we do. So often we can look at our situation and say, man, I'm just stuck here. I want to be doing so much more. I want to be doing all of this. Yet instead of patiently waiting on the Lord and saying, all right, Lord, you, you've placed me here. I, you know, that you've placed me under this boss. You've placed me in this work environment. And it's okay to pray that, God, if it's your will to move me. But while I'm here, train me. We see throughout the Psalms as we read, as David recorded, the things that he learned as he looked up into the sky and looked and saw the wonder of the Lord. He wasn't busy doing all of these other things. He had time to be alone with the Lord and to learn all of these things that, again, God would use later in his, in his calling to be the king and the leader of the people. I have selected for myself, <laughs> for myself, never forget that, the work that we are doing the things that he calls us to do, the training that we are doing is not to make ourselves better, to get, to get further along in our own lives, in our own goals. He selected us for himself. We are to bring glory and honor to him. We exist for his pleasure, not the other way around. So as we look and, and we, and we uh, digest where God has us, be patient there and look for the things that God would have you learn in those positions, again, knowing that we are there for him. Now, verse two is interesting. Again, Samuel, this great man of faith, as we have seen throughout the, the, the book so far. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. <laughs> Does that bless anybody else in here? This great man of faith was afraid. That blesses me. I love the fact that the word of God shows these great heroes in their totality. That a man like Samuel, after all that he's been through, again, he's at the end of his life. He's, he's lived a long life serving the Lord, done great things, yet when this command comes from God, he's like, wait a second, God. He's going to kill me. I, I, I can't go forward with that. I see in this so, some, some, again, a great process to follow. First of all, to confess that. If God is calling you into a situation and you have fear, don't, don't deny it. God knows. You're not, you're not fooling him. So, so go to him and confess that. But then go into his word. Because that's what we're going to see. He gets a word from God. And then we need to be obedient. God understands he doesn't, notice, he doesn't rebuke Samuel for his fear. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Now that's a fantastic memory verse. It's one that we should all know. It's one that we should teach our children to know. Because our first reaction in the flesh so often is inadequacy. I'm not capable of this. I can't do this. And you know what? That's a good place to be. Because in ourselves, we need to confess that. But he's, he doesn't stop there. He says he's given us a spirit of power, of love, of discipline. And those are supernatural things. That spirit that is there is not the capital S. He's not speaking of the Holy Spirit. But the spirit that is within us that he's given to us because of the Holy Spirit in us. Again, supernatural. 
Our weaknesses don't hinder God's work, but our strengths don't help it either. (laughs) We need to confess that we are in desperate need of him. And then going to his word, as it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need to confess that and go to God's word and find the strength there. As we see, Samuel finds strength in the word of the Lord. It goes on to say, He says, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now at first pass, that might look like God is saying, go, here, here, we'll we'll give a little heavenly fib here. A a little, we'll we'll, we'll change it up. Almost like God is saying, I didn't think of that. You're right. You know, if Saul finds out, he will kill you. Thanks for pointing that out to me. You ever feel like you need to tell God and fill him in on all the details? It's, it's, what really I believe is happening here is God is giving the entire instructions. Samuel just interrupts. God is giving the entire story as to what he wants to do, and Samuel just interrupts. Wait, 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 wait. Did you think about the fact that I could get killed in this whole thing? And understand that God knows everything. He's ahead of everything, and he makes provision for everything that he commands us to do. We need to understand because fear comes so easily in situations, especially when God is calling us out into places that we are totally unfamiliar with, completely uncomfortable with. But he's ahead of that situation. He is making provision already. He is already, the plan is already set. We just need to walk in obedience with it. I heard it said, I was talking with someone earlier this week and it reminded me, of something that I had heard once said, that, that if, 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 you're, if, if the illustration is swimming, and it's swimming in the ocean, and if you swim to a point, God is calling you, and you look back and you said, I can still make it back to the shore, I can still swim back, you're not out far enough. God wants to take us to that point where we can't get back. We can't get back on our own. We can't do it on our own. And again, in those places, in our flesh, that's where the fear rises. But we need to understand that God has made provision for all of those things. He's ahead of all of it. And he says here, you you will take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me, the one whom I have designated to you. So he, said, he, he lays the whole plan out. He says, here is what we're going to do. I said he laid the whole plan out. I, di- I didn't mean to say that. Because he didn't lay the whole plan out, did he? He said, you go and do this. Then, I'll tell you the next step. He said, you shall go invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and then I'll show you what you shall do. He didn't tell him all of the steps. But then, verse 4 says, so Samuel did what the Lord said. Again, admitted his fear, heard from the Lord and was obedient and stepped out in faith. God is going to reveal the the step when he gets there. He's going to tell him which one it is. He didn't say, by the way, it's the shepherd boy. He didn't say, I'll I'll tell you when you get there. You You will get this revealed to you at that time. And we need to understand that too. Faith, this journey that we go on, is a walk of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And God God oftentimes reveals the path to us one step at a time. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that because God knows me better than I know me, and I know me well enough to know that if I saw too far down the road, I'd say, God, no way, Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. If I saw the plans that God had for me 10 years ago, I'd say, God, are you kidding me? I can't get up in front of people. That scares me to death. There's no way. I'm moving. I'm going somewhere else. I'm getting out of here. So he reveals it one step at a time. And we just need to walk in faith, knowing that when we get to that point, where we, if we would see it today, we saw that point, we say, no way. When we get there, he will have made provision. He will have prepared the way. When we get there, we will have everything that we need. And we'll see that as we continue here, as Samuel now steps out in obedience. He did what the Lord said. And came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Here's Samuel walking into town with a, with a heifer, and they said, do you come in peace? 
the leader, uh-oh, Samuel, the prophet, the big guy, he's coming in, automatically assuming the worst. You ever do that? Get a call from somebody, your boss or whatever. Hey, Pastor Brett wants to meet with you. Uh-oh, what did I do? He didn't see that, did he? You know, right? <laughs> we just assume the worst. These people are assuming the worst. They probably knew, though, of the tension of everything that had transpired between Samuel and Saul and, and that interaction that we just saw the, in the previous chapter. And, and so probably warranted a little bit. But they're worried. And he said, no, I'm, I'm here in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So this is a, this is a, a peace offering, a fellowship offering. If you remember back in Leviticus, if you were with us when we were studying through that, the different offerings that are made. A sin offering, the entire the entire offering is burnt on the altar. But a fellowship offering, the fat and the choice pieces are, are offered on the altar, but the rest then is given back to the people and they have a big feast and they just enjoy the fellowship with one another and a fellowship with the Lord. That's what he's saying is they're gonna do this. And so they consecrate themselves. They set themselves apart. They, they, they bathe, they change their clothes and they come to this, this place. And after this is done, then, again, Jesse and his sons are there. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Again, I love this about Samuel <laughs> and the fact that it's revealed here because, again, the first reaction is, man, look at that guy. It must have been quite a, quite a physical specimen. This, probably the biggest, the strongest, certainly the oldest, the oldest son. And he says, man, that's got to be him already forgot, that's what happened the last time, the one that looked the part, the one that, the one that, that, that everybody would have thought, the tallest one, the, hand, the most handsome, the strongest one, that's the one that was chosen. And God said, man looks at outward appearance. He says that here, verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height or at his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not a man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Hmm. Again, I, I find comfort a little bit in the fact that Samuel does this, looks right away, because that tells me again that, that even, even godly people make that mistake. James tells us in James chapter two, he says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit at my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? James is writing to Christians. He says, our Lord, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, he's writing to Christians. And again, because God understands that that is our, our default mechanism, to default to those who look the part, sound the part. Now, we might not, although we might, again, depending on where our hearts are, as it Paul or James describes here, the rich ones will find a special seat for you, and those that don't look that part will find a different. We, don't, we maybe don't do that, but we need to understand, he says, personal favoritism. And when I think about that, that can even come in two different ways. If we're going to make it real practical and applicable to us now, how we view ourselves first. Do we act differently here than we do other places? Do we put on a certain, certain dress? Do we put on a, a certain way of acting of speaking when we're around other Christians because we want to impress somebody or, or sound more spiritual than we are. Quite honestly, we need to be exactly who we are. Not trying to impress one another, but also, again, in that, that idea that, that we need to be careful that we don't show favoritism to other people. Because our, we're all, our, our human nature, we're all like this in our nature, that we're gonna attract the people that, we, that we're like. 
you know, birds of a feather flock together. I mean, we, we, the people that, that we have things in common with. And if we're not careful, we can unintentionally alienate people. And, and that heart that, that he's saying here, we need to be careful because we can, we can, that heart judging with evil motives, we might not even have, think that that's the problem, but that can be the case where we can leave others outside because we have a certain feeling about them. And, and again, in our, in, our adi- in our world that we're around today, we have to be careful that if somebody walks in full of tattoos and I don't have any tattoos, I can find myself going away or piercings or other things like that. And then they can all of a sudden feel alienated when this is the house of God. Paul, or Peter, when he went to see Cornelius, Remember, he, he went there, and, and, and then the vision that came, and, and God revealed to him, he's going to the house of a Gentile, and he's like, man, Lord, no. And he's going to go in, and at the end of it all, in Acts chapter 10, Peter says, I understand now that God is one, not one to show partiality. All people from, from all, all around, as long as they fear God and love God, God welcomes them. And again, we need to look upon people with the eyes of God and the heart of God careful not to alienate anyone. Again, God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. Now, Samuel makes the wrong choice first. He says, he says that. God says no, kind of a nice gentle rebuke to him. And we can learn from that too, because we all make wrong mistakes, wrong decisions from time to time. Mistakes thinking that we're supposed to go this way and, and find out when we get there that that's not that where God intended. And we just need to humbly, just as he did, just press in closer to the Lord. It was like he got that rebuke and he said, all right, okay, now I'm going to listen more carefully. <laughs> Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Now he's listening. Now he's listening for God's voice. Verse 9, Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Oh, for seven. Seven come by. And notice Samuel says next, Are these all the children? Seven pass by. There's no more kids in the line. That means that there must be something else that we're missing. There must be something that, that, that hasn't happened yet, that ha- God hasn't revealed to us. And so often, we can get to that point where we're thinking, I think I heard from the Lord, but man, it seems like all of the opportunities that I was waiting for have passed by, so did I hear from God clearly? Did I hear right? And we can begin to question God. We can begin to to question ourselves. Did we hear God right? And we can then go back and say, well, I better chase down. Let me go back through those seven again. I must have missed something. But Samuel knew, and he was waiting for the Lord. It means that there must be more. And so he said, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Again, the youngest son given the, the worst job of them all. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. <laughs> that'll, that'll get it going. We're not going to eat till David comes, till the, till the other one comes. Go, go get him right now. So they, they run out, they get him, and they bring him here. Now, it goes on, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the one. Now it's so interesting here as we look through this, and again, studying these things and timelines. Josephus said that David at this time was 10 years old. Most rabbis taught that he was about 15 years old at this time. We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us, but more than likely, probably in that age range, 10 to 15. And he's out protecting the sheep. And God now calls him and anoints him king of Israel. I'm reading a 
a book that somebody has given me, and it's a, it's a fascinating book. Um, uh, it's, and I'd, I'd recommend it to any parent, read it, and then give it to your teenager to read. It's called Do Hard Things. And they point out in one of the very first chapters that this, this term, teenager, started in a Reader's Digest, like in the 40s. And the idea of adolescence is an absolutely, totally new concept. We look back in the, in the, in the Bible times, and up until just recently, there was no adolescence. There were no teenagers. You went from being a child to being an adult. There was no tweener time. You went from, from childish things, as Paul talks about, to adult things. You went from being a child to being an adult. And we have robbed our children and our teenagers because we, we don't make them do hard things. We excuse their behavior and we, we say all of this stuff because, well, they're teenagers and they're going through this phase and they're going through that phase. David was 15 at the oldest, anointed king of Israel. He was out in the fields guarding the sheep. So often we, we rob that. What an, what an important lesson. And teenagers, here, I see some. Don't sell yourself short. Don't, don't do what everybody else is doing. God has much bigger plans for you. He wants to use you now. If you will simply surrender to him, get into his word, follow his leading, he wants to use you right now. Right now, be prepared. Start, start again asking, God, what is it that you want me to learn? We see here that, that, that David is anointed king. And as he's anointed, it's not, we, the, the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. We see that throughout the word. And when we anoint today, when we anoint with oil, we, we just simply put a little oil on the forehead. And again, nothing wrong with that. That's what we do. It Again, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But an anointing then wasn't just a dab of oil on your forehead. They dumped the oil all over, all over, and it went running all over. And it was very symbolic again. But I think the symbolism of what it actually meant was lost on everybody except God, Samuel, and David. Again, rabbis teach, it's not in the word here, but rabbis teach that, that Samuel leans over, pulls David's hair back, and whispers in his ear, you are God's chosen king of Israel. Again, 15-year-old, you are God's chosen king. And you know what? I don't think that freaked David out. Why? Because he was so close to God. He was a man after God's own heart. All of those times, all of the Psalms, again, read through the Psalms and so many of those things that he's recording and many of them maybe even written when he was, when he was a teenager. But many of those looking back on those times and the sweetness and the fellowship that he had with God. I, I'm sure that it was probably a realization to him or an understanding this, that, that was there. But again, he just embraces this. And again, not to beat this point up, but again, no matter where you are, no matter what everybody else thinks of you, again, his whole family, his, even his father didn't think enough of him to bring him. When Samuel said, bring your sons, he left David out there. His brothers, we're going to see when we get into the next chapter, didn't think real highly of David. Nobody gave David much of a break when he was in this, but God saw him. God loved him. God placed a calling on him. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. King of Israel. You are the king of Israel. If you are a believer here today, I don't care how old you are. Eight, nine, ten, eighty, ninety, doesn't matter. The Bible tells us that you are a chosen race. You are part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. So often again, we can think of that as this corporate thing, and yes, it is, but it's an individual thing too. You are his possession. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Samuel arose and went to Ramah. It tells us, as we will see, that David then goes back to tending the sheep. Again, 
a man after God's own heart. We'll see this played out again in a little bit as we go through this. This was the heart of David. I don't know about anybody else in here, but if I just got anointed with oil and somebody just whispered in my ear, you're the king of Israel, I'd have been real tempted to say, go tend your own sheep. <laughs> I'm the king. <laughs> but not David. And that's why God chose him. Because of his humility. Because of his heart. He went right back then with this promise, this knowledge. He knows now that he's going to be the king someday. And in God's eyes, he's already the king. But then he's going to wait now. And he's going to go back and he's going to humbly serve. It says that the, the, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. And tell me he didn't know that. That something radically changed in him, in his very soul, in his very, the depths of him that moment. And then God continued to develop that and, and to, to use that mightily in him. So much so that, that in Psalm 51, it tells us that after David was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba, years from now, ahead from where we are now, he pleads with God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation, the joy of it. Bring it back. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Tells us in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And I wonder if he noticed. He had become so hard, so cold towards the things of God. It says that the spirit of the Lord departed and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Now, this has caused a lot of people to get off the rails. You know, I thought God didn't, didn't produce evil. I didn't thought God created evil. You mean God has evil spirits that he does? You know, that, uh, no, that's God. When the, when the spirit of the Lord is taken away from Saul, God allows these, the, 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 the demons, the spirits, the, the, they, are, uh, they are still under his control. They have rebelled against him, but they cannot do anything without God's permission. Job is a clear example of that in the book of Job. Satan had to get permission from God to go and do what he did to Job. We saw that in, in Matthew when we were studying through that, that the demons had to get permission from Jesus to go into a herd of pigs. So this isn't like there's a bunch of evil, evil demons sitting at God's beck and calling. He goes, all right, go get that guy. But an evil spirit began to, to terrorize him. And it says that Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Obviously, it's, it, they could see it. Something was, something was happening here. And we, before we move on from that and say, well, that was then, we need to understand that, that God does not do anything without a purpose. I don't believe that God allowed this to happen to Saul to punish Saul. Again, going back to that point that I'd made earlier, that God had rejected him as king, but he hadn't rejected Saul. There was still hope for Saul. And I believe that this was done by God compassionately and lovingly because he wanted Saul to turn. He wanted Saul to repent and to, and to come back. We see that played out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 even. There's a, it's telling in the church in Corinth, there was a, a man committing a grievous sin. He was sleeping with his father's wife. And the church was just ignoring it. They knew it was going on, but they weren't doing anything about it. And, and Paul says to the church in Corinth, I have, re I have rejected him. I have put him out of the church and given him over to Satan, is what it says. But, he says, so that he is, his flesh might be destroyed, but his spirit might be restored. He put him out, not, to, not so that he's doomed to go to hell, but so that he would recognize his sin and that he would repent. That was the whole goal of Paul and God acting through Paul, that there would be repentance and restoration. It's interesting. I read about this when I was just recently in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You probably know the verse, verse 7. Paul is speaking 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. There was, and what I had come across with that is those are two different things in the way that the Greek is written. The thorn in the flesh and a messenger from Satan. What is the messenger from Satan doing? Well, it doesn't tell us, but I can only imagine. God doesn't love you. If God really loved you, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't allow this to continue to happen. You've been praying about this. You've been asking God to take this away from you. If he really loved you, he'd take it away from you. That, and he said, he said, I prayed. I prayed that this, would be, that this thorn in the flesh would be removed. But God said, my grace is sufficient. And when he surrendered to that, he said, this was given to me to, to keep me from, from exalting myself. And when we submit to that, and we come under that and we understand that God is, God's desire always is to draw us closer to himself. And I believe again in this that, that it was de- designed to bring Saul to repentance, to restore his relationship. And if the people that, that were there with him, it says his servants then said to him, behold now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you, let them seek a man who is a skillful player of the harp And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. What they should have counseled him with was repent. (laughs) This this has come upon you so that you recognize where you have come and recognize your sin and to just turn to God. Just just repent of your sin, but they try to cover it. They try to, we'll figure out something else. We'll just, let's, let's turn on some music. And so, so often, the, 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 the call to people, even within the church, I believe even well-minded people, is when people are going through and suffering and facing tremendous difficulty and torment in their life, instead of saying, you need, let's go to God together. Maybe there's something in your life that's not pleasing to him that you need to repent of and you need to turn from. It's like, no, you know what? what you need to go to a psychiatrist. Let's go to the world together and see if we can't find a solution. You know what? I read a great book by Dr. Phil. Read this, and maybe this will fix your problem. Instead of saying, God, is there something? Because we can deceive ourselves. Instead of, instead of giving them, him that, that word of wisdom to go and do that, they said, you know what? Here, chase this down. Try this. But again, we even see God's sovereign hand in that. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, hmm, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled, a skillful musician, and a mighty man of valor, and a warrior, one prudent in speech, and handsome man, and the Lord is with him. We don't know how long after this has taken place, but long enough for people to start to notice that this man, David, before he was just a shepherd, nobody took any notice of. But now all of a sudden, people are starting to take notice. And man, God is with this, this kid. So Jesse, they go, it's all said. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly because, and he became his armor bearer. Now, it says, and Saul loved him. In, in the original text, it says, and he loved him. And if you read it in that context, I'm sure it it probably played out. Saul loved him because he was he was when he played the beautiful music and, and he felt better. But many believe that it should see, and David loved him greatly. Because notice, it says, if, if you read it, it says, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. So we see again David's heart that instead of saying, this is the guy I got to get rid of in order for me to be the king, it says that he loved him. He loved him. And he became his armor bearer. Now, an armor bearer at that time was one who stayed right by him. Remember, they're at war constantly. So an armor bearer is one that would be next to the king all the time. 
talk about, that, that, that's, that David's getting an internship, <laughs> on-the-job internship. He's hanging out with the king as different things are coming that he's, the king is having to deal with on day-to-day things. David's right there to hear it. He's ministering to Saul, but he's also learning on-the-job training. Can it be faithful in the little things? Learn where God has you. He's preparing you for something far greater. We know that this doesn't last for, for, for too long because when we get to chapter 17, he's back to being a, being a shepherd again. We don't have a timeline in all of this, but for a while, he's there with, with Saul often. It says, Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David now stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take his harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. I love that again because David, this man now filled with the Holy Spirit, this young man, that when this evil spirit came upon Saul and was tormenting him, David would just simply be David, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that evil spirit would flee. The Bible tells us that we are not to get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love that illustration again. Shared this before. The illustration, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you think of something being filled, you can think of a, a, a ship's sails being filled with the wind, and then it guides where the ship goes, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're guided and directed by the Spirit in our lives. But also, if you think of a a cup being filled, and that idea, be filled, be being filled, filled to the top. If you're carrying a cup full full of water and you bump into somebody, what happens? The water spills all over him. And I see that David, just in his the very presence of being there, this evil spirit couldn't hang around. Again, David's humble attitude. Knowing, knowing again that he will be king. He has this this promise, and again, reinforced by the Holy Spirit, no doubt in him, that he will be king. But his humble attitude of service in this time. Again, not looking for angles, not looking for anything, but his joy to serve the king. What an example of, again, what we are all to do. The heart, one who is after God's own heart. We know that. It referred to of David. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, For this reason also, God highly exalted him. We often wonder, you read through a passage like that and you're thinking, how how could I emulate that? Well, David gives us a perfect example. While being king, God anointed him king. While being king, he didn't think being king was something to be grasped something to be gone out and gotten. God promised it. It's going to happen in God's timing. But while I am still in this position, I'm going to humble myself, even to the point of being a servant, serving King Saul, knowing that God will exalt him in the proper time, in God's timing, in God's perfect timing. James tells us that we are to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt us. We need to, again, tie in this together and just what we could take away from this in our own life. Where God has you right now. Be patient. Learn. On-the-job training. God's obviously using this to prepare me for something else. God doesn't waste anything. So what is it that you would have me do? It's not wrong to pray that God, you know, transfer me out of here. Lord, provide for me another job. Whatever that might be, that it's not wrong to pray that. Lord, while I'm here, I want to learn what you'll have for me. And then to humble ourselves, not trying to grasp for that next level, but say, Lord, humble. I humble myself. I will serve. 
Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Again, our example. And David, what a great, what a great practical example. Because so many times we can look at it and say, well, that's Jesus. How can I be like that? Well, this is David. Again, a teenager. <laughs> modeling for us how we can then walk in that. Well, next, next week, we get into... The story of David and Goliath. So we will pick it up there next time. One of those, I guess, just in, in closing too, I just, I, the, the, the 23rd Psalm. David writing this. Don't know when he wrote it. Probably maybe was even on his heart when he was a lad, the, the time frame that we're in. We don't know what time he wrote it, but certainly pointing back to a lot of those things. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, what a blessing it is to know that you are our shepherd that you are the good shepherd. The shepherd that was willing to lay his life down for his sheep. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this, this amazing relationship that you have called us into and that you purchased with your very blood. Lord, we know that as your word tells us, it's a promise in your word that if we focus on you, if we, if we turn our attention to godliness and to follow after you, you will provide everything for us. You will lead us to green pastures. You will never leave us alone, but you will always be with us. And Lord, our, our desire is to walk closely with you. Lord, I pray that each one of us this week would take, take time in the, in the busyness and, and in, the, uh, in the life that you have us in, that we would take time to look for the training that you are, you are doing in us. Lord, our desire is to be used by you. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. Said, let there be light into a dark and formless world. Your light was born. You spread out your 